So, how many of you guys uh, saw the report from uh, that I sent on the, the presbytery meeting? Um, okay. Did it was was anyone uh, able to click the link and see the video of the the pastors and elders singing Psalm two? Okay, that worked. I wasn't sure in that format. I was standing in the back on that one. Um, I, I uh, assist with the cooking for our presbytery meetings, primarily run by me and one other guy. So we're late to bed and early in the morning taking care of those uh, those things. Um, but it was a, it was a really good time. It was very encouraging. Um, well, y'all are gonna like really try to cool me off. The uh, you know we covered we covered a lot of things. You know, originally, when the CREC wasn't growing as fast as it is today, um, the springtime was simply a retreat. They did no business, but because of the growth of our denomination, we are in a constant state right now of working through um, ordinations. Um, and uh, in, in case you're, you're curious our, how our denomination goes, they, a committee is formed around someone who's received a call, and then we, they uh, are given a written exam, which is then evaluated by a committee generally of five men. And from there, they, you know, they ask follow-up questions. They look at his experience and assign him tasks. Um, could be anything from exegetical papers to uh, sermons that they do that are evaluated and all those kinds of things. And then um, they, they, they go through his work in detail and then uh, meet with him a few times. And then finally they bring him before the whole presbytery in which the committee asks a battery of questions based off the five sections of the written exam, um, things they think are important for that person to address and then it's opened up to the whole presbytery where all of uh, the elders and ministers that are present um, are able to ask questions and as I mentioned in the email or, or the on the realm site the purpose in this is you know one of the things about the presbytery is that the presbytery is um, you know they're guarding the pulpits so that you know, significant effort to make sure that our ministers are uh, are orthodox. I, I would say something else too just in terms of how our church structure in the CREC operates. The presbytery is only a, a body when we are called together. So we talk about the presbytery a lot and what we're generally meaning by that is that it is a geographic area of churches that excuse me, counsel together. Um, but the presbytery itself has very little little uh, power when we're not called to meeting. It's almost calling like a church council, right, from, from church history. And so what happens is in the interim, there are two positions that take care of the ordinary business of the presbytery. Um, 
and that is the um, presiding minister of that particular presbytery and the presiding minister pro tem. And so we have Lawrence Wyndham, who um, is a very experienced minister from Bristol, uh, Tennessee, who is our presiding minister. And then we have a longtime elder from the Providence Church of Lynchburg, Virginia, um, uh, David Cooper, who is our pro tem. And essentially what happens is um, if there are issues that need to be addressed, um, concerns, then what happens is you would contact the presiding minister and, and ordinarily what he does is, is his work. Um, he may form, a, let's say this is a church with questions about something going on or they have a, they're, they're struggling or, or whatnot. He'll form a committee of other ministers in our presbytery to kind of take on an evaluation and um, work with that church or, or help that minister out. Um, and so wh whatever happens as far as those calls are, the next presbytery meeting, um, you know, we, when we're called back together, we, we validate his work. We look at, he, get, he presides, gives us a report of the things that he's done, issues that have happened, and then we are able to um, give our stamp of approval as a presbytery. Um, that's generally how it works. So far in the the time I've been in the CREC, I've never seen it where um, the work and uh, delegation of the presiding ministers weren't affirmed. Anyway, I just bring all this up. It kind of helps give you a little bit of an idea of, of uh, what happens um, at our, you know, and how our denomination works. Um, and, of course, the other thing in terms of right now with the, with the tremendous interest and growth in the CREC by other churches it provides a great opportunity for churches that are interested to send a delegation, um, a pastor or uh, pastor and elders or a group of men that are interested in starting a church. Um, and they, they can come to a presbytery meeting as visitors. They have no votes, but they get to get, they get to know people. Um, it gives us an opportunity to begin relationships and vet those guys and, and establish that, that line of communication. And right now, the CREC on the whole is experiencing growth in two ways, just like we've experienced growth and the addition to people coming to our particular church. There's a lot of churches um, who maybe have been part of denominations that are moving away from the scriptures, um, that are looking for, church, for denominational homes. There's a lot of independent um, reformed works whether it's a Reformed Baptist or otherwise, that through the time of, of uh, the, the COVID, I don't even want to call it a pandemic anymore, but, but, during, but during that time, they recognized there was tremendous value, A, in having some authoritative structure above you, and then also other men and churches to stand with you. And uh, I, think, I think that's woken up a lot of churches and so we have, uh, we have had tremendous interest. Uh, Virgil Hurt, who is our pastor from, I mentioned, from Providence in Lynchburg, he's our current um, presiding minister of council. So that means he's the presiding minister of the entire denomination. And uh, he talks about how um, Monday through Friday, 
uh, he typically receives a, a request for information about the, the denomination about every other day. Um, so that's quite a bit. Yes, sir. How does quality control work for allowing people in? And, I mean, do they, do they have to jump through hoops to make sure, make sure that we're not you know, granting the title of their inland snakes on Sundays or something like that? You mean, you mean a particular church that shows interest? Yeah. So, right, 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 exactly. So what happens is um, a, a incoming church will, will fall under the oversight of another church, and you will become a mission church of that church. And there's a two-year process from the time we say go, not from the time you first meet, but from the time we say, okay, the official process has begun. And so elders from that church will go and visit and spend time uh, with those folks and go to their churches and meet with the elders and the elders will come to your church and um, you know so they receive oversight from another church in an intensive level um, I imagine it's even it's similar to how this church I know they were involved in setting up the church in Greenville uh, years ago in uh, Greenville South Carolina um, they've had connections to uh, the, the, of course, they established a church out in Martinsburg, right? Um, so it's, it's a similar process. We treat them just like a mission church that's being established so that we can uh, you know, address that credibility. And, of course, their minister would then have to come before what we would typically say a modified committee, right? So it's not a full five members. Um, it it, it uh, is a little bit more reduced because... They have experience, right? So then it becomes much more about doctrine and CREC distinctives, right? And of course, every church in the CREC has to um, has to uh, subscribe to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, the uh, the document from Chalcedon, um, and then finally you have to select. There's certain confessions that you have to select from a great many have chosen the Westminster Confession um, there are a number that have also taken on the three forms of unity but we have a whole list all the way down to the London Baptist Confession now if you're familiar with it's pretty there are some distinctives between say the Westminster Confession and the London Baptist Confession um, and I know I'm probably getting in the weeds here but I just want to say I just want to say that you know, we are, we've actually formed, because there's so many Reformed Baptist churches that have interest in being part of the CREC that we formed a special committee. Um, among them, Rich Lusk, Michael Foster, um, Rob Hatting, um, who's been a, you know, two of those guys have been presiding ministers of the Presbyteries in the past. So they have a lot of experience um, in working with churches. Um, I know those three men. I, I suspect there's several others, but I know those three are on the committee. Um, but, but it was a good time, and it's really good for us to see. We have an opportunity as pastors to influence one another. There's all kinds of deep theological discussions. After we do our night session, you know, we've eaten dinner, we have to do a night session, and then we, we go out there and we spend some time uh, chewing the fat, so to speak, which usually uh, involves a little bit of uh, scotch or bourbon and a cigar of some sort. 
Um, I say that. I mean, some guys do, some guys don't. Um, <laughs> um, but there are, so guys are, are talking with one another, and there's all kinds of, of gaps of opportunity as well, all the meals together. So it's, it's a really good time. And I, as I've mentioned before, our, our uh, Presbytery is dividing. Our Book of Church Order um, for the CREC basically says the ideal size of a presbytery is 10 churches and that when a, when a, when a, uh, when a presbytery reaches 20 churches, it's time to talk about uh, dividing to keep things as local as possible and as manageable as possible. And so last year when we proposed the, the um, the division of the presbytery we already had 23 well it was 19 when the idea first came up it was 23 last fall there are i think three or four other mission works and like i mentioned there were quite a few interested parties um, so that already puts us closer to the um to the 30 mark and so you know, I imagine, and, and how this works is, is that our general council in the fall, the presiding minister's council um, will again, you know, they're again called, convene, and they will make a, uh, they will uh, approve our, our division. Um, Harold Guptill, anybody ever heard of him? A longtime CREC pastor out of New Hampshire. I've known him for a long time, many years. He he came down to the, the uh, pastor's conference in Monroe, uh, knowing pretty well. Anyway, he's the pres he'll be the presiding minister of the new presbytery. It's, the proposed name is Bootser, um, after uh, Martin Bootser. Anybody heard of him in church history? Okay. And uh, but the the uh, you know for me it was a little sad because I recognize I won't see some of these guys as frequently. You know. Uh, anyway. I won't get too far, any more in the weeds, but I think it's important to express to you guys a little bit about what happens at, at these at these council meetings, these Presbyterian meetings, and how they are helpful and uh, strengthen the, the body of churches. Um, you know, we get an opportunity to. Everybody's got challenges and issues, and it provides opportunities for us to share face to face. Because you know, a phone call is good, but looking each other in the eye and in, in presence of one another is even better all right let's pray and we'll, we'll begin this morning our God and our Father we thank you for your great mercies I pray that you would help us as we continue to study doctrines of your people the church Father I pray that you would help us to be faithful to you in all things in Jesus name amen so we're uh, at the Westminster Confession um, excuse me chapter 25 Subpoint number four. And I'll read that to you. And we will begin um, we will begin our discussion. The, this universal church has sometimes has been sometimes more and sometimes less visible. Particular churches, which are members of this universal church, are more or less pure to the extent to which the doctrine of the gospel is taught. And embraced, the ordinances are, are administered, and public worship is performed, more or less purely in them. So there's a lot packed into those sentences there. 
part of what they're driving at is to say, first of all, the church of Jesus Christ broadly, that's the universal church, is sometimes more and sometimes less visible. They're not talking about this other distinction that was being made previously about saints you can see and saints you can't. This is more about the effectiveness in the culture, visible in that sense. In other words, sometimes the church is more effective in their calling to uh, worship God, um, follow God's sacraments, and to make disciples of the nations. Um, I think we can think about that. We see a lot of things in our current culture uh, that uh, uh, where we look at certain denominations and certain churches in our communities and we say, what are they doing? Why are they leaving? Um, why are they leaving faithful living? Why are they leaving the, the preaching of God's word? Uh, one of the things that uh, in the talk, I thought that was a phone buzzing. <laughs> Better that it be the sounds of the covenant. Um, but but uh, uh, Virgil Hurt, our, our presiding minister of council, um, gave a talk. It was it was really good. I I, I do have an audio copy, but I but I don't know that I want to make sure that he's comfortable sharing that with everybody since it's, it was him speaking to pastors and elders. I don't think there was anything there too private, but I want to have permission first. But one of the things he really emphasized to us was the importance of the preaching of the word, right? Your pastors that are in the pulpit, are they preaching the word in a way to remind us to be faithful, to remind us to be penitent, uh, and to live in that state. And that's what happens when churches start saying, which way is the wind blowing? How do I maintain being popular? How do I, how do I uh, speak in a way, uh, in a winsome way, so I can attract as many hearers as possible, right? Um, they begin to uh, dilute the truth of God's word. I think it's different to say I need to make it understandable, right? Um, I was helping a young man from UMBC that comes to our college ministry. He's writing a paper for his English class. And essentially, it's a, it's a paper on uh, Christianity and the gospel. Um, and, uh, you know, we, I, I, as I, he asked me if I would review it, give him some, some points and whatnot. And I, I did that. And one of the things in a number of places, I said, your hearer, your, your professor, those that might read this, are they Christians? Well, not really, but the professor's kind of open, right? I said, well, you need to look at this, some of this, this Christianese that you have in the paper and pointed out places to say, you got to explain what that word means because someone that hasn't grown up in the church has no isn't particularized to that kind of language. And so you can break something down to make it understandable without diluting the truth of it, if that makes sense. And so, uh, again, there are particular churches, and in, our, in the oddness of the fragmentation of the body of Christ right now, right? Um, I mean, there are practical reasons, just like we talked about with the presbytery, where it just gets to be too large, 
it's hard to maintain great relationships in that and so you have to make it manageable and before in the world before there was a massive transportation right you you had to walk some distances so it was important to have um, a, a regional cathedral per se a place in a large city where you build a large church and then you would also have churches in the towns because it wasn't like you were going to walk uh, or ride 30 miles on the Lord's Day um, in, in order to get to church. Um, I'm sure there have been some in, in, in history that have done those sorts of things because that would be a tremendous effort. The point being that, that just geographically as the church expands you're going to have at least the division of individualized congregations. But we've, we've also experienced doctrinal issues throughout the history of the church that has caused the church to divide, the East and the West, um, and, and then, of course, all the denominational breakups after that, uh, some stemming from the Reformation. Um, and then we sometimes get into a place where uh, Reformed people in particular, um, we, we, get, we, we, we are not gracious and saying, can we, can we be together and still hold faithfully to God's word? Someone might say, I think this issue is really important. It's the most important thing. And, and someone else says, no, I think this is, or they're looking at a particular passage, and, and instead of maintaining a level of unity, right, they're quick to divide. And I know, and I, and I, was, and I know there are times where we have to say, no, that's sin, but I think we need to be, if God says there's one body and there is a place to expel people or churches, if there's one body, we ought to be working as hard as we can um, to be in unity before we do that. Yes, Jonathan. Uh, this is the lesson of faith that Benedict's trying to focus on. I, I guess uh, the divines, uh, one of the fixes they had for this was Elijah is complaining that he's the only faithful, uh, and God's like, well, you may not see it, but there are 7,000 that have bowed, and that's, that's an interesting example, because very frequently people think, is there even a church on earth, but uh, it may not, for whatever reason, be very uh, Right, that's Romans 11, um, 3 and 4, the reference there. Um, so, um, you know, that was actually going to be the next thing I read. No, no, that's great. That's great. because, But, but I think it's really important that we recognize these things, that, that the church um, is going to have to strive to be unified. I think part of the, the, uh, the, the knowledge of the glory of God, you know, covering the whole earth, like the waters cover the sea that we see in Isaiah and Habakkuk, those verses, those prophetic verses, I think right now we're at the church is in a fragmented state and, and through history God's going to by his mercy bring us closer together because I guarantee you this right there's no char card checking at um, at, he at heaven's gate right in other words which denomination are you a member of okay um, there's no there's also no theological exam. Again, I think reformers, we can get caught up in that. Fundamentally, 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over all and that he is the only means of being reconciled to Jesus to, to the Father to cover our sins? Do you believe those two things? That's the fundamental issue of someone coming to Christ. Okay? So do they hold to those two points? Then then that's the starting point. Yeah, they should grow, they should mature. Um, and but but I think a lot of times we get we get really bowed up about what those divisions might look like. This is probably too big of a question to be answered, and you may be addressing it in your sermon, but in John 20, when Christ breathes on the disciples, and it seems to be tied to, because in the same breath, he, he breathes on them, you have been given the Holy Spirit. If you don't forgive people, they won't be forgiven. And I, I know it's a bit of a stretch to connect it to what you're saying right now, but there seems to be this exclusionary power that he's giving them uh, you know, excommunicate. It, it almost seems more than excommunication. What he's saying, right there. Will you, are you going to address that in your sermon? Okay. So, yes, but I don't know if it's going to be as far down as okay. you want to go. So let me just say this. So what Calvin says on this particular point it, that that he's making here, because it is about the power of the church and the power to cast out, which comes a little bit later in in, in this general talk. But Calvin says Jesus is not giving to his disciples the thing that belongs to him, the ability to forgive the sin, right? What he is giving are the keys to the kingdom to deal with people and to excommunicate them. I think it's a little bit of a stretch. He's not, because what he's trying to do is he's he's providing them with the authoritative structure to stare someone down in their sin. Okay, and, and so... Um, the, and I, I will be dealing in the sermon on what that breath means and, and what it's for and, and, and all of that, so we can maybe hold to that. But is that is that I'm just using Calvin's commentary as an example of great architecture, right? I'm sorry, what did Calvin? The the uh, the authority to and, and in the John 20 passage uh, to forgive sins or or uh, to withhold forgiveness. It's really a reference back to he is commissioning his people out. In, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And at John, in John 20 is the fulfillment of that where he says, now I'm giving you the authority to call people to repentance and if they, they will not, then to excommunicate them to to deal with them but remember the excommunication part is here right it isn't step one there's this whole just like God did with the people of Israel just how God is with us he doesn't strike us down on the first sin excuse me he sends people to us and calls us to ongoing repentance okay yes Ken So, yeah, that's what he's referencing. 
Um, but we'll we'll hit some more of that in the sermon today. Just you know, I always think it's find it's interesting with what we're talking about in Sunday school providentially fits into the sermon. <laughs> That's right. Um, so so quickly here, uh, we already covered the Romans uh, proof texts by the Westminster divines, Romans eleven three and four, talking about the Elijah and how God has sustained others. Um, there's also references to uh, Revelation 12, verse 6. Someone like to read that? Revelation 12, and then I, verse 6, and then I need someone in to do Revelation 12, verse 14. Yes. And then Revelation 12, verse 14. But the woman was given the two great two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half times. So don't get caught up in the times of all this, but recognize that the woman that's being referenced here in Revelation chapter 12 is referencing the church, right? So in the midst of the greatest persecution that the church has ever seen right both from the established Jew, uh, you know the Jews the Judaizers the, the high priests all of that and Rome when that culminates God is going to miraculously provide security and sustaining provision for the church and that promise that we see there talking prophetically about the church in the first century, is ongoing towards the church on the whole. Takes us back to Elijah being sent by ravens. That's right. So also, we we don't have time to read it all, but but Revelation chapter two and chapter three. Um, it, it, I would I would just say this: we should go through and read that. Read that this week. Revelation chapter two, Revelation chapter three, and recognize. There's this ongoing conversation that our Lord and Savior is having with different churches. And he says, oh, you're doing great in this, but you're unfaithful over here. You tolerate this sin, this church over here, uh, and if you don't get it together, you're going to be cast out. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, right? There's all these different things going on in the different churches, um, twice the Diocletians come up in that, those two chapters, two different churches and their response doctrinally. And I, I simply want to say this, that um, I think this has been applicable since the beginning of time, or, or, and it's certainly more visible um, since uh, Platonistic thought's been given a lot. Uh, but this, this idea, the Diocletians said they could be Christians, more or less intellectually, and yet they could live their lives, um, their, their sexual uh, proclivities, any way they wanted. They could drink and party and do whatever they want and still be a Christian because that part was separate, like some kind of separation of the physical realm 
and the spiritual realm and that kind of being in your, your rationalistic mind, okay? And so, but the Diocletians show up, um, and I think we still have those today, right? You ever heard the discussion about, or it being phrased something to the effect, um, live like the devil on Saturday night, right? And then come to... Well, and, and I think I think that's important here because, uh, you know, not taking the Lord's name in vain. That is, as I'll remind you, is that word taking is to carry, to bear up, right? And so remember at baptism, you are you are given the name of Christ, his seals put on you. And, and then you carry the, that name in a way that causes people to blaspheme God. Okay, to see the inconsistencies, to see uh, how your sin, you know, you say this, but do this. And of course, the, there's also the, the, the connection to we can do some type of elaborate liturgy that has spiritual trappings, okay, but we can do it in such a way that it is empty, that we're literally carrying the name of God in an empty and vaporous fashion. That's right. Right. So now, does that mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater? By that I mean, do you do away with everything in a liturgical sense and have nothing? Well, no. Instead, what you say is, let us have a form in our worship. Right? We have banners. I'm encouraging us to focus on the church calendar. Anybody get a chance to listen to Dwayne's talk? No? Okay. The one that was attached from Presbytery. I, I recommend that. I wasn't sure they were going to put that out because although it was very good, somebody said, hey, can we get your notes? And he says, well, the book comes out this fall. So, um, But uh, I think it looks like it might be part of like the Answers in an Hour um, type book. Kind of small, but kind of giving but, but, but the, general, the general thing is we, we don't say you have to throw out the actions that we do, raising hands, wearing certain kinds of clothes. I mean, for example, most of you are dressed nicely, you know, maybe even the nicest thing you've worn all week, right? I imagine, say, back there, Mike isn't out there in the ditch fixing sewer lines in the ground wearing his suit back there, Right? So you come to the house of the Lord in a particular fashion, doing particular things. We don't want to simply throw those out. Um, <clears throat> so we have just a couple minutes. Let me just make a, a couple of other um, points here. I want to, of course, uh, Jesus gave us instructions in Matthew 18 uh, in regards to church discipline, what that looks like, how you call a brother or sister to repentance. We see that uh, particularly in 1 Corinthians, but all, all of the, the, the New Testament writers, once the church is established, 
those epistles, they're writing to those Christians, and they are teaching them doctrine for sure, but they're also telling them, this is how God asks you to live. You need to repent and be conformed to Christ. Finally, I want to say this, um, two passages here that just, I, I want us, you, you probably heard me say this, empires fall, but the church remains, right? That's part of what they're driving at here. Despite its imperfections, despite its problems, right? The church, God's elect, are going to persevere, not just into heaven, but to see the nations discipled. Psalm 72, verse 17 says this, He shall, uh, His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. So in that passage, he's saying this. He's saying God's name, and in, in, in so much as when you are baptized and you are given the name of Christ, right, that becomes, that becomes important. You're bearing God's name at that point. And God's name will endure forever. And his name shall continue as long as the sun. And people will be blessed. And God will be blessed by the people. And then Psalm 102 verse 28 tells us this. The children of your servants will continue. And their descendants will be established before you. So just like... Sometimes you feel all alone, just like God has sustained 7,000 in the day of Elijah that had not bailed, you know, bend the knee towards Baal. God is preserving his church among us and among his people all around the world. Questions or comments? No, I th- our, our church's doctrine generally is that that, that great tribulation uh, occurred uh, at the great persecution of the Christians and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so are there going to be great difficulties and strivings? I think um, during the time of COVID, we began to see that there are some who wish to persecute um, and prevent the church from worshiping. Um, but that was, you know, that was really nothing, nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters uh, were challenged with. I'd also say that, um, you know, where where Paul is making his statement in Romans uh, nine, where he talks about uh, the the people of Israel coming to repentance, we have to remember that there are a great deal from the from the establishment of the church 
um, all the way to the end of the the uh, old covenant of the destruction of the temple, great many of the people of God come to know Christ at that point. Now, where Jesus makes a comment about, um, you know, narrow is the path to heaven, wide is, you know, that that projection largely can be understood as what's going on prior to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so there were a great many who resisted the gospel, resisted coming to, to believe in Christ until after his work was completed. Because you think about that, just in Jerusalem itself, if you just count in the book of Acts, how many people were coming to know Christ, right? And again, they kind of pull this... Um, <laughs> They, they, they talk about men in there, and so sometimes you've got to multiply those numbers out. Great, large numbers of Jerusalem and um, of Israel were coming to repentance pro- or after um, Christ's ascension in the day of Pentecost. All right, we are uh, out of time, so we're going to close in prayer. And uh, if you have children, don't forget to uh, collect them from Sunday school. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your great mercies. We thank you that you do sustain your church. I pray that every one of us would maintain a life of repentance and love for you and love for our neighbors. Help us, O Lord, uh, to prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises to us. In Jesus' holy and precious name.